0: see we start a new series today uh, called Reckless. Reckless is a word that's a bit of a dangerous word and you can say, what, we're going to tell the church to become kind of unconcerned, foolish, irresponsible? No, what, we'll, no we're not trying to do that. We're going to try and talk about giving ourselves away in a way that's uh, not so measured and not so limited. We want to be unconditional in giving ourselves away. Uh, Jesus, I pray as we... Uh, dig into this series of giving ourselves away. Lord, I thank you that we're pushing in on, a, on, a, on an open door. That when we glimpse into heaven, into the God of great love. We thank you that you're the God who've given yourself away to us. That you didn't spare anything but poured all of yourself out upon the cross for us. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be tight-fisted, uh, mean-spirited, uh, turned in, but we would pour out like the God who himself poured himself out for us. So Lord, that's our desire, so we pray, meet with us, changes, challenges, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Albert Einstein predicted in 1916 in his general theory of relativity, the idea of a black hole. Uh, the term was coined in 1967 by an uh, American astronomer called John Wheeler, and the first one was discovered in 19. 19- uh, 71, uh, and excuse me if my science isn't good, but the basic idea of a black hole is that it, it pulls everything towards it uh, so that uh, in the end nothing can escape, not even particles of light. Uh, and, and so that this sense where this, the gravity or the mass of the black hole is so large... That once you pass the, the the line around it, it was called the event horizon. Once you pass that event horizon, uh, everything is sucked into that black hole and never never emerges. Uh, and the irony of black holes is they were once bright, shining stars. They were once stars that burned with fuel and energy. Uh, I just realised I said something about that. I must have had it in my mind earlier. But they were fuel lights that burned with fire and energy and gave out. Uh, light, as it were, poured out uh, like uh, in, in terms of uh, physically life to us on this planet. They were like a star like that. And then what happened is that they've, they've run out of fuel. They've run out of the, the fusion fuel that, that keeps the balance between uh, out and in. And what they do is they collapse in on themselves. Uh, and they, uh, they, instead of becoming uh, life-giving, light-giving uh, sources, they become these black holes that uh, pour uh, pull everything into themselves, insatiably grasping and holding on to even light itself. Now, if you've been around me a while, you've probably heard me use this idea, and it's always dangerous to use physical things uh, as, as metaphors for kind of spiritual things, but sometimes they're really helpful. And I think that sometimes the, the life of, uh, uh, of the world that we live in is very much a black hole life. It's very much a life where what we want to do is to pull everything towards us. Uh, we have this kind of ins- insatiable emptiness inside of us where we w- that wants to be filled, and uh, we tend to fill it with activity, we fill it with uh, uh, stuff, uh, material possessions, we fill it with, with friends and family and good education, but, but yet there's a sense where we're constantly pulling in, and, and very little escapes. We live this very kind of me-centered, turned-in uh, kind of world, and, and the tragedy is that's not how humanity is meant to be. Humanity is meant to be uh, shine like stars, Paul says, in in a dark universe. We're meant to be those that give ourselves away, that give out light. And so what I want to do in this series is to talk uh, about recklessly giving away, not carelessly or irresponsibly but uh, unconcerned about the consequences. Uh, just I'm not preaching on this but just as an example as we get into the series uh, I remember what, we had a guy preach here a few weeks ago you may know the story of a woman who uh, broke an alabaster du- jar over Jesus's feet and uh, this expensive uh, perfume uh, was broken and poured out of Jesus's head and Jesus's feet and anointed him uh, and, and the comment of the disciples, not the comment of the people who didn't know Jesus. As this woman's pouring out her worship and her love onto Jesus, the comment is, what a waste. How reckless, how irresponsible to do this. Because we're so measured. The way we would have done it is we would have taken a tiny little of this expensive oil and just gone, well there you go Jesus, and that's all for this week. And I know I do that in my lives, and I knew that we do that in our lives, but, but what we want to do is we want to create this indignation amongst ourselves and indignation amongst those around us, these guys are crazy and they give themselves away for Jesus. They give themselves away for Jesus and his cause. So what I want to do is to uh, look at a chapter that, again, uh, one of my favourite ones, I I meet with some guys on Monday and we're doing our favourite Bible verses. So... um, you might get this twice if you're in that little group. Uh, but this is uh, my, one of my favourite Bible verses, and it's Philippians 2. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there, otherwise it will come up here. I have translated, uh, it's the NIV, but I've tweaked a few words. Not to make it, uh, to make it unbiblical, but to, to use uh, words that I felt helped it better. So um, sorry if that offends you. Okay, so it says, Paul's writing, says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any sharing together in his spirit, any tenderness from compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and the same mindset or mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Regard others better than yourselves. Let the same uh, mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or grasped, but rather he emptied himself, taking the nature of a bondservant, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cro- cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So Paul's talking to this church, it's some of the earliest writings uh, in the Bible, particularly the second part of what we are reading, some of the earliest writings in the Bible, and it gets almost to the root of what it means uh, for us to, to understand who God is. But, but Paul starts, first of all, with uh, an understanding of what it means to be a Christian. He just says, if you're a Christian, then you, you're united with Christ. That actually we're joined together. It's almost a, a marriage of, of, of we become united with him. Uh, he's the, 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 the bridegroom and we as the church are the bride. So we're united with him. So that's brilliant because that means his death is our death. He dies in our place. His death is our death. His life that he pours out is our life. Uh, his father's love is our father's love. I mean if we just pause there. You can say, Our Father, we sometimes, you know, you used to pray at school in assemblies when I was a kid. And, you know, you, Our Father, the staggering reality that God is our Father sometimes easily brushes over us. He's our Father because we're united with His one and only Son. And we become His sons. And His spirit is now our spirit. So if, if that's what it means to be a Christian, Paul says, Well, there, well therefore, we'll live like a Christian. If you are a Jesus follower, then live like a Jesus follower. And he gives some marks. It says, have the same love, the same spirit, the same mindset of Jesus. Be like Jesus. We all think, yeah, well, we understand that. But what does it mean to be like Jesus? Paul helps us. He says, not being filled with grasping ambition, not being filled with pride, not having an inflated opinion of our own worth, but... In humility, giving ourselves away, says, uh, in humility, considering the interests of others rather than ourselves. So, so often the black hole of grasping ambition, the gla- black hole of pride, the black hole of inflated uh, opinion of our appearance and abilities and worth kind of draws everything in, trying to feed our own insecurities. But actually Jesus is, is full of humility and gives himself away. But, so Paul's thinking, okay, well, that's, I've said that, now let me, let me uh, bring in the big guns and say, well, what is God like? I, I tried to find a picture of the throne of God. Uh, uh, it's difficult because it's really hard to get cameras up there. Um, and so I didn't know what to do. So here is a, a bright sunset, uh, a sunrise. But, but there's a sense, if you were to close your eyes, you could do that with me. If you were to close your eyes, imagine the, the throne of God. What's God like? What's God like upon the throne? When Isaiah sees Him, He falls down as a a dead man, and wow, scared! I'm ruined. I'm sinful. What's God like, surrounded by hundreds and thousands of angels, a glassy, bright sea before His throne? What? What's God like upon the throne? And I know if I was sitting on a, a throne, you can open your eyes now, if I was sitting on a throne surrounded by worshippers, uh, I would not become uh, the, uh, the most humble person in the world. Uh, I would become, uh, I'd become even more arrogant, I- I- even more self-obsessed. I would start to believe my own uh, rhetoric and say, well, absolutely, of course people are absolutely justified to worship me. I'd become uh, self-obsessed. I'd become self-focused. And you could say, well, well, okay, Howard, you're not God. And, and that's self-evident from my start of the sermon today. But um, the, the, the fact is that you could say, well, God could do that. God's got every reason to, to sit upon his throne and to delight in his, in, 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 in his own self. He's got every reason to be surrounded by worshippers. He's got every reason to, to consider himself much, much greater, more holy than us. Now some of you are starting to oh, wonder, where is he going here? <laughs> and that would, in that sense, but if, if God was a single person God, if God was just on his own, if it was just himself, with no one to love, with no one to... Uh, uh, they're just checking, that's a picture of Mark they're saying, isn't it? Oh, Robin Van Persie. Well, that is true, isn't it? Because he was always injured, apart from the big games. Uh, If you were were a single person, God, with no one to love, uh, if you were always alone, and there was nothing else, no creation, no universe, no worshippers, no angels, before the angels were made, what would you fundamentally be like? Even though God is good, fundamentally, I would say you'd have to be inward-looking, because there'd be no one else to think about. And as a result, you'd inevitably become a little bit self-obsessed. A little bit of a narcissist. You know, you'd inevitably love yourself. And that, we feel, well, that's kind of wrong, isn't it? And you can, and some writers will tell you, some Christian writers, sorry, will tell you that's okay for God to love himself. But they're missing something fundamental. Because God is not... A single person God. A, a single person God would be self-obsessed. Uh, uh, sorry about the picture, you can draw your own conclusions. Uh, a, sing, a single person God would be self-obsessed. Um, would be He um, could not help but becoming empty and hungry and grasping and insatiably demanding. A black hole type of God. Who just looks for submission and just looks for worship and just looks for us to give him. Just looks for us to carry him. Looks, just looks for us to serve him but a God whose trinity is something else, something different. Um, If you were ever tempted to uh, think uh, that God uh, has got these worrying tendencies to being a self-obsessed, vain narcissist, Paul, in our passage, is going to blow a big hole in that. So let's see how he does that. First thing he says is, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God. The creed says, God from God. True God from true God, uh, 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 eternal, begotten, not created. Uh, in the sense that, that here is Jesus who's uh, one like his Father in every way. And, and the, the journey that the disciples went on through their, their lives was to start to realise that this fisherman... Uh, sorry, this carpenter amongst the fishermen, this, this, this man was God. When he calmed the storm, they, they, they were scared of the storm. But then when he calmed the storm, they said, what category of man is this that even the winds and waves obey him? And they started to journey. And Peter said, said who do the men think I am? And they said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Shocking in a sense, blasphemy for, for a, a Jew that believed in one God, but yet here is the sense of God is more than one. Three persons, I'm going say it carefully, Brian. Three persons, one God. There's, there's something more, but God is... So Jesus is in very nature God, and the resurrection from the dead proves that. He is God. Jesus in very nature God. But, some, but Paul's going to take us, take us on a journey with this passage. He said, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now that word equality could suggest that he's not equal with God. And you might find that at the local Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses, but that's not what we believe. We believe he's fully God in every way. Every single attribute, fully God. Father, Son and Spirit. Three persons, one God. And he's fully God. And Paul is (coughs) poetically suggesting that Jesus is considering something. Or contemplating something, some some verses say. He's contemplating what it means to be in equality with God. In other words, uh, like it says in Colossians, the exact representation of God. What does it mean to be like God? It's a poetic uh, kind of window that Paul's making a point as if, what is Jesus contemplating? What is he looking at through all eternity? Before anything was made, before anything was created, before any angels were round the throne worshipping, what is is Jesus looking at? Or better, who is Jesus looking at? You can answer at this point. Don't you know? Okay, let me help you. There's the Father, and there's the Son. What is Jesus looking at? <laughs> he's contemplating his Father. Through all eternity, he's contemplating his Father. Now, that's a scary thing if you're a father. <coughs> so my sons, uh, there's one look at the back there, the uh, Damaris is out in kids' work, which is handy, and the other one's at university, and my wife is also out in kids' work, so I'm really just going to get it past Jotham and we're okay. Uh, but, but my sons are contemplating, considering what it means to be the Kellett dad. What it means to be the Kellet man. What it means to be a man like that. What does it mean to be a man? They're learning that from me primarily, which is kind of scary. Because they could draw the conclusion that being a Kellett man is about grasping and selfishness. That when the, when the dairy milk is passed around that I get the slightly larger pieces. And when they were younger, I could get away with that because they didn't know. (laughs) But now they know. In fact, my daughter demands to have the slightly larger piece herself, but we spread them out. So maybe I'm dad and think, well, I've got a bigger portion at dinner time. Or maybe I've got my own chair. Or when the TV remote is being passed around, no, it's in my hand. Because I'm father. I'm dad, I'm Kelly dad. And that's something to be used to my advantage. Maybe that's what they think. But really, I'd love them to think, no, you're the self giving, loving father who gives himself and gives himself and buys you a new bike <laughs> <laughs> and loves you even when you mess up. No, Joseph mustn't dig you deep. Okay, what do you understand? So Paul's saying Jesus is considering what it means to be like God, like his Father, because that's what he's looking at all the the time. He's contemplating, what does it mean to be like that? And he comes to a conclusion. Jesus, though in very nature God, he's God, equal with God, fully, in every attribute, like his Father, did not, so he's come to a negative conclusion first, did not consider being like God, equality with God, is about, say the word, something to be grasped something to be used for his advantage. We've got a different kind of God here. When he considers his father, he doesn't say, God is on the throne, he's a self-obsessed narcissist, and he just wants us to drop and give him five worship songs. Make sure you're tithing everyone, because he's watching and it better flow into him. No, he's saying, no, 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 I'm looking and considering God. It's not, about. it's not about something for him. We're not created for him. Wait on a minute. No, no, that the, 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 the Jesus, who's, who's obviously uncreated, is, 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 he says, no, God is about giving himself away. He's, he's about pouring himself out. It's not, he's not about grasping. Now, there is a God. Who's a grasping God? A small g God. Oh, sorry, Mr. Sliding. <laughs> doesn't mean that God is uh, selfish or self-serving or cold-hearted or grasping or exploitative. There is a god like that, a pretended god uh, says the hymn. The there is a pretended god uh, and it talks about him in Isaiah 14:14. 14, 14. It says, "You have fallen from heaven. Cast down to the earth. You said in my heart in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I want to sit on the throne." Because that would be good advantageous for me. I will make myself like the most high. Does anyone know who this God we're talking about is? (coughs) Satan. He wants to sit on the throne and use it for his own advantage. So God says, we don't do that here. He says, you throw him down. He turns up in the garden. Turns up in the garden with man and woman and makes... This little temptation. You know, God is really, although He's giving you the whole of the beautiful earth. Sorry, I'm putting too much pressure on the students there. If God has given you the whole beautiful earth, He's poured it out for you. He stooped down, it says, and handcrafted, hand planted this beautiful garden. He's not far off commanding it. He's stooping down and creating it. But you know, He's holding out on you. Because being about God is keeping the best stuff for yourself. And that fruit there, from that tree there, is really the best stuff. We forget there's another tree, another beautiful tree, a tree of life, who it says in Revelation, I believe is Jesus is there in the garden. They have a choice. I'm going to give myself to this beautiful one. Or am I going to believe this lie that God's really this grasping, self-centered authoritative, mean-spirited God. And you know what? They fell for it. We believed it. It says, you can be like God. You can ex- you can. It's the same temptation that Satan had. You can be on the throne yourself. Hallelujah. So what happens is we create God. The gods we have in our head, the gods we worship, some real, some imaginary, is what we become. So the God on the right... Is a God called Marduk, and in his story of creation, it's a Babylonian creation story, he says, I'm going to make people so that they can serve me. So what kind of king was the Babylonian king? This is, I've used this picture before, this is Artaxerxes from 300, don't watch it. Um, but <laughs> he's the what kind of God? Self-giving, loving, poured out God, isn't he? Poured out king. No, he's not, is he? He's the grasping, ruling, horrible dictator. And so the God that you worship creates who you are. The theologian Augustine, many centuries ago, coined this phrase, which is in Latin, so I never went to that kind of school, so I'm pronouncing it clumsily. I think it's called incurvacious in, in It literally means man or humanity turned in on oneself. And he said that that is the very nature of sinfulness. To be turned in upon yourself. To be one who's all about filling your inner black hole. That is the very nature of sin. Because God in his very nature is curved outwards, poured outwards. Why? And I've said this already, because God is Trinity. God is this Trinity of three persons, Father, Son and Spirit, perfectly united in love. Here is a God who is not essentially lonely. Loving others is not a strange or novel thing to this God. It's the root of who he is. The Father who is love has forever poured himself out into his Son. So when Jesus contemplates the Son... He starts to say, it's not like that. It's not about grasping. It's about self-giving. It's not about grasping, it's about overflow. It's not about exploiting, it's about serving. It's not about taking or getting. It's not about using for our own advantage. It's about giving ourselves away. Paul continues, he says, rather. so Back in Philippians, he says, so it's not that. It's not about grasping and using to your own advantage. That's not what God is like. God's like this. Rather, he made himself nothing. Considering what his father is like, so I'm going to be like my father. Considering what his father is like, he says he made himself nothing. It's almost like blasphemy, isn't it? Emptied himself. I'm saying poured out. We could debate that, but we're not going to today because I'm talking and you're sitting and listening. He poured himself out. <laughs> poured himself out. Taking the very nature of a bondservant a slave be made in human likeness so why did jesus become a slave just before you get yourself in the wrong place you might think well jesus become a slave to serve me so i you know when i was a kid if you used to go people say jesus loves me they'd be shocked why why would they love a sinner like me now if you say, Jesus loved them, say, well, of course I am. I've been told about psychology and self-esteem and I've been pumped up through all my life. Surely I'm absolutely worthy to be loved and served. Why wouldn't God do that? Aren't I absolutely beautiful? In fact, really, I'm on this little throne of my own and he should come and bow down and worship, shouldn't he? Because... But he no, he didn't come and uh, worship, uh, come and serve us because we de- deserve to be served. In fact, it's absolutely the opposite. We don't deserve to be served. We don't deserve to be loved. We don't deserve to be condemned and thrown uh, and, and discarded. We're made from the dust of the earth, for goodness sake. And then we sinned against him. But yeah, so it's not about that. Servanthood describes, he does the servant... Thing because that is who he is. Hear that. He does the servant thing because that's who he is. Now, what I would do is if I wanted to make myself nice and loving, I was on Sunday mornings, I'd come to church and be really loving and serving. But I could put an act on for a couple of hours, couldn't I? I mean, most of you have already seen through that. And people have t- said to me, you know, don't come with your game face on, you're really grumpy. And I, I'm said, i trying my best. <laughs> my wife said, be positive. Uh, you know, I can put a fake on for a little bit. Jesus is not putting the servant fake on to make himself look good, but really, in glory, he's sitting on his phone and saying, it's all about me, come on. Feed me, worship me. Now, he's doing this because of who he is. Our lack of self-giving shows who we are. His self-giving shows he's God. Say amen. amen. So, we do this. Whoa. There's a bit to go yet. You might think, oh, well, I'm breaking bread already. No, I'm going to work it harder yet. Okay, Jesus takes the, the bread and wine in the Last Supper and it says, uh, Jesus uh, took bread and, what's the word he used? Broke, Broke it and gave it to his disciples. It says, after supper, he took the cup, said, this is my blood in the new covenant poured out or shed for you. He is determined to be the giver. What he's demonstrating at the Last Supper is demonstrating what he is, is demonstrating what's about to happen. He's demonstrating that he is the giver, the poured out one. But what happens Sorry if you've heard me do this link before, but I just find it staggering. Here at the Last Supper, the disciples have a disagreement. In Mark, it's in somewhere else, but in Luke, it's right there at the meal table. As Jesus is saying, I'm pouring myself out for you, they're having a disagreement, it says. A dispute arose amongst them, the disciples. Uh, They were considering, oh, there's that word again. They were considering uh, who was the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, but you're not to be like that. Instead, the one who rules, uh, I can read it from there, it's too dark. Uh, the one who rules uh, should be like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at table or the one who serves? But I... Uh, is it not the one who is at table, but I am amongst you as one who serves? So they're having this dispute, and they're saying, "Look, I want to be at the top table. I want to be served and elsewhere in market." The, the mum says, "Could you, can my boys kind of be vice president and kind of secretary of state when you're in, you know, coming to your kingdom?" Uh, and, and, and the other ones are indignant, and they argue, and they're arguing who's the greatest. How classic, isn't it? We get close to Jesus and he's saying, "Look, I'm the poor out God," and we're arguing about who's the greatest. Who gets the best profile? Who gets to to do the best stuff? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's what the kings of the Gentiles do. That's what Artaxerxes does. That's what Caesar does. He lord it over them. But not like that for you. The one who rules has got to be like the one who serves. And then he asks a rhetorical question. Who is greater? The one who's at the table or the one who serves? Answer the question. Who is greater, the one who's at the table or serves? You're all a bunch of liars. Because actually, the one who's at the table is the one in our culture who's greater. I preached this, uh, a bit of this sermon in South Africa. And one of the things that was shocking about that was that you are always at the table. And the ones who serve are 99% likely to be black. You pull in a gas station or a petrol station, they fill your car. You give them a couple of round. They park your car, you give them a couple of round. You've been there for two, three weeks, you stop seeing. And you start to think, of course, somebody would park my car. Of course, somebody would wait on table at me. Because we know that's our culture. At the wedding, there's a wedding coming. I'm not suggesting you could do it, Abby, but you know, it might be an incredible demonstration, Rich and Abby. But if they were serving the meal out, you'd go, what? Outrageous, it's my wedding. I sit on the top table and you serve me. And you got those weddings where their top table has nice food, and you have someone else, don't you? <laughs> you think, well, how does that work? <laughs> oh, it's their wedding. <laughs> but you know, I'm sure you won't be like that there. But if it is, we love you anyway. Stop digging. <laughs> so Jesus says, "Who's the greatest? The one who's at the table, the one who serves." And and they obviously know in our culture the one who's at ser- the one who's at table is greater. But Jesus says, "Uh-huh." But that's true. The one at the table is a greater. Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am amongst you as one who serves. And he demonstrates it. Oh, no, let's go to the King of the Gentiles. Obviously, Caesar is the King of the Gentiles. He's a, a taker, an exploiter, a grasping enslaver, living in great wealth, demanding service and homage, crushing all who obey. He's the one at table, he's the one who is to be served. But Jesus says this Jesus knew that all things, that the Father had put all things under his feet under his power. What would you do if the whole world was yours? I, well, I wouldn't do this. If the whole world was mine, you win the Euro, millions, billion, billion, billion lottery, He said, oh, I'll give a little bit away. Here's one who's the whole world is his. So he does this, that he's come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off the outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after he'd poured out water, into a basin and began to wash the feet of his disciples, drying with a towel wrapped around him. They were staggered. Peter said, this is wrong. This is the wrong way around. You're the one who's going to come and sit on the throne of the nations. What are you doing? You can't wash me. What are you doing? Paul goes further to tell us what God is like. Being in human form, he humbled himself. Became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That the, the Muslims cannot think about a God that dies. A God that's the king of the universe could come and live among smelly humanity and die. It's blasphemy because they've got a single person God. But we have a God who gives himself away. So for him to come and live amongst us, and pour out his life and die. That's what he is like. He's not just doing this as some rescue mission, and then he goes back to sitting on his plump cushions. It's who he is. The centurion who'd been at the cross who knew the divine Tiberius, who knew the, the, the king who was a grasping ruler, he saw how he died and it says with a loud uh, cry, Jesus breathed his last. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he poured out his life and died, he said, surely this is what it means to be God. Daryl Johnson, theologian from Regents uh, in the States, said this, Calvary reveals what it means to be God. Self-emptying love is the proper expression of divine status. It's brilliant. Self-emptying love is the proper expression of divine status. If you're God, this is what you do. The suffering of Jesus on the cross is not a human tragedy or a Unfortunate collateral damage suffered by God in a mission to save sinners, it demonstrates who God is. God is poured out. God is cross-shaped. I believe when it says that the Son of Man, the Lamb, was slain before the world began. it's not that just it was planned. It's that when he looked at his Father, he saw the poured out life-giving one who gives his life to someone else. It was the way that Jesus was going to come and show us what God was like. This was the way. There's a song that we sing, this is Jesus in his glory. This is Jesus dying for me. Let's come up and out out of this. But Jesus didn't remain in the black hole of death. He crossed the event horizon. No one had ever been there and come back. Not well. Come back and never died again. He'd raised a few from the dead, but no one had crossed the event horizon. And death had swallowed everyone up. It's crushed them, and they'd never come back. But here Jesus goes across the event horizon. He goes, as it were, into that grasping, insatiably demanding, sinful, turned-in place of death. Takes it down to the grave. Takes it down to the grave, where it belongs. The cross-shaped life then is exalted as Jesus is ascended. Therefore, let's finish, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is then Jesus uh, saying, right, okay, we've done with the hard stuff now, it's back to the comfort of the throne. Because if you go and look at the center of the throne, Who's there? The crucified one. The poured out one, right at the center of the throne. There's a man there who died, who's at the center of the throne. Because he's always been like that. He wasn't a man before the Incarnation, but he's always been the poured out one. Paul says this. This is the only little bit of application. We've got four weeks of application coming forward, so this is the background for the application. But this is the application that Paul makes here in this passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't live the black hole life. the life defined by grasping, exploiting, taking, me-shaped, self-serving by fight for power and position and popularity and possessions. God has taken that life down to the grave. The grasping spiritual pride is the spiritual cancer that eats the very possibility of self-giving love. If you're a human on this planet, this is what you're called to do. You're made in his image. she says to rule the earth in his good way. If you're a husband, this is what you're made to do, to pour yourself out. I preach it to myself, help me Lord. Pour yourself out to your wife and to your kids. If you're a wife, you're to pour yourself out into your husband and family. If you're a Christian, you're to pour yourself out to those around you, to those that don't know him, to burn brightly so they see this is a beautiful God. Jesus says this, doesn't he? Actually, band, come back. Why don't you come back? The cross of Jesus invites us into the cross-shaped life of self-giving love. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to grasp hold of their life is going to slip through their fingers whoever pours out their life, whoever loses their life, whoever gives themselves away, for me and the gospel will be filled. If you don't love this God a bit better after this half hour, I'm really sad. Because he is so beautiful. What an amazing God we have. That he would give himself for us. So when we break bread... We're not just saying, isn't it great that I got off? (laughs) That I got away, I got my sins forgiven, that I I got free. We're saying, actually, it's him that I want. This is my body. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want that self-givingness to be my identity, to be how I am. So you take and eat his body by faith, saying, God, turn me outwards. And when you drink his blood, you think of sins forgiven, but you say, God, let me be one who pours out my very life for others. Do you want to do that? Do you want to be that person? I know you do. So we're going to break bread together. But before we do that, I'm just going to ask you to respond. So why don't you stand? Brian or someone can play some a nice emotional music. <laughs> Let's just focus on Jesus. He's the bright, shining, radiance, outgoing light of His Father's glory. Jesus, we thank You that this is who You are, that You give yourself away that you pour yourself out again and again, that your grace is free and rich, that your body was broken, that your risen life's available to us, that, that you dare to share yourself by your spirit poured out into our lives. So we say, God, we thank you that you're so amazing. And if you've had a little bit of black hole life about you, just want you to hold your hand up. I'm not going to get you to do anything more than hold your hand up. You can hold your hand with me. And we say, Lord Jesus, fuel us up again. Where we've collapsed in on ourself. Where we just want to feed our own ambition. Our own desire. Where there's this nasty event horizon around us. Where things disappear and never come back. We say, we want to be like you. The cross-shaped God. The poured out God. We say, let what happens in our lives, in our communities, in this church, pour out on a broken world. That they would say like the centurion, truly, this is what it means to be God. And fall in love with him afresh. Amen.